0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to <laughs> Butterflies and Bravery. This is episode twenty-two, and I am Jemima, and this is Whisper, my co-host. Hello. <laughs> and today we are joined by Joe. Just go <laughs> by Joe. <laughs> yeah,
1: Joe Joe, look. Joe. Joe Joseph. However, it rolls. <laughs>
2: I feel super honored that you're joining us and t- chatting with us because a lot of our guests so far have been women. We had a couple other men that came on, trans and a gay, yeah. And we a had gay a- man, yes, yeah. yes, but, but I think that um, there's a lot of ways that we process things differently, male and female, and and like the survivor experience can often be very different for a woman than for a man. And so I'm super happy and excited that. <laughs> to to talk to you and hear what's been going on for you
1: yeah that is a tricky one and I think from the because I'm very much a man I'm very (laughs) (laughs) I I like to think I have a strong feminine side but I actually just think it's sensitive and I'm an emotional kind of guy too there's no mistaking I'm a man
2: yes Um, I would I would say that's true there was
1: a funny thing where I, I thought to myself once that if I haven't actually sat down and honestly absorbed and contemplated the question as to whether I was gay or bi or whatever, then how could I possibly say with confidence that I was or I wasn't? There was a time where I, I'm not just going pre, like to pre-fill the question, am I or aren't I? And I think there's one of the things that served me well in my he- healing journey is just not leaving any stones unturned. If I was so insecure in my masculinity that I couldn't ask myself that question, then to me it's not much matter of masculinity, is it? So to sit mm-hmm. back, imagine it or imagine that kind of closeness in that way with, with another male kind of thing, and it, mm-hmm. and it just did absolutely nothing. And so it literally was an exercise that took 15 minutes. It was <laughs> <laughs> and you just went, well, if I don't go there, and someone says, and it's like, well, have you fucking thought about it, mate? No, actually, I haven't. I just know that I'm not. Do you really know that you're not?
0: <laughs> that that sounds like somebody might have been trying to invite you over, no.
1: <laughs> well, I like attempt, you know. Attempt attempted
0: conversion. Attempted conversion. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that are like you could maybe be fluid about your sexuality and just not know it. So why don't you come try with me? It's only kinky the first time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, especially when you're in your party. party and everyone's on the fingers and it's just, oh, mate, come on, if there's ever a time that I reckon you're at your weakest, I reckon it's now. And
0: that's, that's true.
1: So, yes, no, it was definitely a an honest question that I asked myself and know that, that it is definitely no. But but with that side of, and questioning of masculinity and, and what it is to be a man, there's so many things that are just common everyday challenges anyway yes. trying to you know, pull apart the patriarchal type society that we've been born of or come down through. So we are yes. miles better than three generations ago. But mm-hmm. we're nowhere near where we need to be. And I think that the big part of that is because not enough people actually do sit back and ask themselves those hard questions. And it's yeah, the absolutely this right. control thing and, the you know, hiding behind facades and having arrogance, not confidence and, the things that they that acted on are done out of impulse without intention. These are all things that are so easy to say, <clears throat> but take years and years of dedicated self discovery to actually process and and come to yeah. some form of conclusion. And even that's only like a like an interim conclusion because there's so many more things to discover. There's so many things in the fine lines. Mm. Those little nuances and tiny little fractions of discovery that that'll keep happening. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> t- till the day we're pushing up daisies. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I really like that whole point that you brought up about like i I thought about it actually because a lot of people maybe haven't so i I think it's interesting that you actually Mm -hmm. took the time to (laughs) to even think about it it's that's definitely a a good step in the healing journey
2: yeah honestly i i think that it's one of the more important things that we as humans need to do is stop and ask those questions about ourselves if somebody is just living by default like you're just never going to go anywhere. You're going to never have anything sincere or authentic because you're just living in default. And, yeah. yeah, so I think it's an important thing to to stop and say, okay, what do I feel about this? What do I want? Where do I go? Those kind of questions.
1: Yeah. And so, and I think from where we came from, one of the benefits, one of the huge benefits, and I'm a seeker of benefits and not just a sneaker, I'm a finder of benefits. But, but one of the things that I found that was a huge benefit is that there wasn't much from our upbringing that I could accept by default. So mm-hmm. already yep. you essentially clear the slate and you go, you know what? That was all exactly. shit. So <laughs> I'm going to scrape it clean. And where do I start? You start from ground zero you take one little tiny piece at a time, you deal with those things. And, and, and so I think it was almost part of a well refined, well practiced, well versed process that are just applied to another area. And that's Yeah.
2: You know, <laughs> I was telling somebody one time that I feel like escaping the cult the way that we did. I was like, I'm actually technically only about 21 years old, <laughs> because I felt like when we got out, it was like ground zero. Exactly yeah. like you said, I had to scrape the, I'm like, there's a blank whiteboard in front of me now. I, I was a baby. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm only about 20. The level
1: of naivety really got a lot of us into a lot of trouble. Yeah. So, so we've got all the moving parts and the bits of a big grown-up person and we're out there <laughs> trying to, you know, do what we think we need to. And we're trying to, you know, we're not being parented and really that, yeah. We had to not just start and reparent ourselves from an emotional that side of things like a lot of people have to from a trauma side but yeah. really having absolutely no idea on how to exist out in the world and and that's a really unique challenge to the segregation and the, and, a, and a cult type setup it is really unique so mm-hmm. it's not that trauma is ever a competition it's just everything has its different flavours and colors and smells and things and and i think that's one of the ones that that we had people after learning even how to save money for rent and things just you know and and food and how to fill in or feel okay about putting all your personal details on a form to to put it into to get a bank account kind of thing where do you put your money you know, how, does, how does this work? All these things yeah. that, I've, that I've worked through with people that I guess I consider myself lucky. I came out at eleven, but even that being, you go from one one minute you think you're going to die during the great tribulation, and be frozen on the lake, <laughs> eaten by lions, and hunted and shot. And I was having dreams about how to keep my infant sister quiet when we're hiding underneath floorboards and things. And then you get dropped into year six at school in Canberra and you just go wow <laughs> wh- what the fuck is this <laughs> and the girls are giggling about their favorite pop star that they think is cute and mm-hmm. everything and and you're used to watching the things that we saw like there is it just nothing that was the same <laughs> you talk about not living in yourself and from yourself and, and having to hide yeah. parts of yourself well there is there is not much that I could have actually shown at that point. Weird accent, can play guitar, only know who Michael Jackson is, don't know anything else. And it's, I can read and write, but I can't do maths. I can't do maths, right? Um, Geography, yep, absolutely. I know the capital city, I know India <laughs> intimately. you <laughs> okay, but just like when we're on India, it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) pretty much know the national bird. So, what's the (laughs) bird? How the fuck do you know that? And you don't know who Michael Jackson is? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: it was a lot of very strange things that we grew up with. Just for our listeners, Joe grew up in the same children of God cult that Whisper I did. So, you left when you were 11?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was in my late 20s. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Well
0: yeah yeah so I like whisper I consider myself I think of myself as being like 18 years old when I left because that's when you're supposed to get a job and all that but of course I had no freaking clue how to do that I literally got my driver's license when I was 27 we were talking about that one of our podcast episodes it's all wait you're 25 and you don't know how to drive (laughs) and then you have to go into the whole explanation of in the cult first of all men were only allowed to drive and second of all it had to be be voted on by the whole entire commune who was allowed to get a driver's license and it certainly was not going to be a freaking woman <laughs> yeah oh
1: wow that's insane yeah yeah there was there certainly are a lot of things that i, I do feel grateful for in that in getting out at 11 and it was one of the big catalysts for my parents leaving my stepdad and mum because we, at the age of 11, all those team camps were being set up in Japan and Philippines and stuff. And basically at 12, that was me, I was going to be shipped off so they could see the writing on the wall there. We'd just had malaria and typhoid in quick succession and so they thought we were going to die, which is probably pretty accurate. And because mum and us kids were all in quarantine, they basically worked my stepdad after death. And he could put, he could focus all his energy just on whatever they asked him to do. And it mm. was never enough. And he was often a leader in areas. So he was like it would be an area shepherd or a home shepherd or something. And because mm. he loved control, he's a control freak, just a, an authoritarian loves breaking spirits, <laughs> which I think is a prerequisite for being a shepherd. Yep. Um, and, and, but he they basically worked him to the point where he realised that if he tried that hard and it still wasn't good enough, it started the questioning. So yeah. all those things together made them leave back in 1987 and we came back to Australia and, yeah, that was that portion. From mm. what led on from there is obviously you, you still have to live the next X amount of your teenage years in a house with a person who is like a shepherd and yes. you know, authoritarian, still trying to crush your spirit. You could remove some of those culty or sexual type of aspects, but there was a whole lot of headfuck still, well and truly, in, in, on the scene. Yeah, but I got to go to school. I got, got to go to high school, and yeah, so there was there, there, there were definitely some benefits, hundred percent.
0: Like you said, that psychological and mental. Torture is almost worse because it's a daily thing, hourly thing sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. as a child, it's terrifying if your parent is volatile like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think a big part is the lack of safety. And that was another thing. Some of the other events or like severe abuse events were events. And you, I think you can process events differently from an overall environment and the really critical definition of heard people or read people use that as the thing that separates complex PTSD from normal PTSD where something happens and all of a sudden you have nightmares from that point forward you can't drive a car again or you don't want to walk at night again or something like that but when you have a like a systematic routine assault on your person and on your spirit and your whole way of thinking, your whole way of life, it really is life-defining. Yeah. And sometimes I ask myself, why the fuck are you still talking about trauma and your childhood and stuff now? You're 45 years old. You've had 30 years to sort this shit out, big fella. What are you doing? But, But I think when there's, like I was talking about, the nuances and those tiny degrees of learnings and things, there is so much in it. And even just in... Having recently separated from, you know, my, the, the last wife, that whole thing threw a whole new era of learning onto me that I, I could have been quite happy to have done without. It was a very peaceful period of time, that mm. thirteen years. It was just, I cut everyone off. I didn't, wasn't involved in any, you know, groups or conversations with too many XTFI kids and that. And it was, it was like a blissful ignorance almost. Yeah. Um, and I could have existed there quite happily for the rest of my life. As luck would have it, you're tossed back in again and then, of course, you learn more about yourself and there's, there's always more to learn. I like
0: the thing you said about, oh, come on, just get over it. It's been this many years and you're, get over it, big guy, type of thing. I I, I don't know. I'm not a man. But <laughs> from the yeah. men that I've been around, it seems like that's the basic attitude that a lot of men have. Like, yeah. you're not a pussy. Quit being such a pussy, man. Yeah. And you think about yourself that way. I'm a man. I'm supposed to be tough and I'm supposed to be this and I'm supposed to be that. It's who says what you're supposed to be like Mm you're just letting society dictate your life or like who made those rules yeah yeah always challenge the rules even if they're made by yourself (laughs) Uh, yeah Mm
2: -hmm. and unfortunately it's human nature any type of abuse or trauma that you uh went through there's always somehow shame connected to it and as long as you have some type of shame connected to your trauma or that event You're not going to be able to process it healthily. (laughs) Healthily is that a word?
1: (laughs) It is. It is now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But so you're either going to turn to self-medication solutions, or you're going to hit depression, or you're going to get either aggressive or hard. It's like there's all these ways because it's so hard to, to process things when you have shame attached to it. I know that that's just something that just seems to come along with all of it, perhaps because there's just that innate process of blaming yourself somehow, some way. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that there's a lot more conversation starting to happen, even in the world today, about mm. trauma and about that and learning to stop turning those kind of things inwards and realizing that that I didn't have anything to do with you and your value and your worth and all that kind of stuff. So those conversations are starting to happen. And I think that's really a powerful path that people can start walking on.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure if you've done, if you've covered the, the topic to death in previous episodes, <laughs> but that whole idea of shame. And I've spent probably six months just in the background, slowly, internally pondering the idea of reoffending or the shame that came along with doing some things that you were taught to do back in the time or acting out right. as the word I was after. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why I am glad that I got out at 11 because being a man, I, I struggled a lot with becoming comfortable with my sexual energy and mm-hmm. a lot of that had to do with I have sexual drive, I have desires But then when those desires had been tainted with some early experiences, I don't feel comfortable with my sexual urges. So when I'm feeling like that, they're all tainted and made to feel evil. And some of the things that obviously you're doing with consenting adults when you're consenting adults can bring a flashback back to something that you were made to do when you were 11 with a seven-year-old kind of thing. And it's just like, oh there's so much mess there it is just it is gruesome it's ugly but a sexual drive is a really big part of what makes masculinity it's almost ever present and it's that was there's a couple of points to that one being that the fact that I did get out at 11 and so was removed from not just harm happening to me but from an environment where I could you know impose harm or hurt on someone else And that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And dealing with the shame of the things that that I did, I'm always slow to come up with excuses or reasons as well because when I'm pushing my stepdad to apologise to my younger brother, for instance, I said, you you can't do a (laughs) non-apology. You can't Mm -hmm. say, oh, I'm sorry, but I was a victim too because you've just taken, you've, you've started, You're nearly there Then you've ripped all the fucking guts out the bottom of it. Now it's legless. So unless you completely accept the responsibility for the actions, even though there may have been some causes, you don't have any solid ground to stand on. There's nowhere to stand to actually create a healing environment. So for the things that I was 11 and even just in the couple of years after I left, I took complete ownership and there's this very tender balance between accepting that would never have happened if i hadn't been you know brought up the way that i had and standing and owning to the personal people that it happened to so there's it's both are relevant concurrently so they are two separate two separate truths that have to exist in parallel and um. I know when you're talking about the dance that we have to you know, move through when we're trying to come to terms with how complex our, our upbringing and the, the fallout from it is. That's yeah. just fucking one of them. But, geez, it's a It's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. Yeah. It's a man thing, kind of thing. So, I know i abused and whatever by older second generation girls as well when I was younger, but, but because I was born in 75, there weren't too many that were older than me. Mm-hmm. And so, some of the younger first generation, for instance, I suffered a bit at their hands as well. And, and while that messed with my point of reference and, and messed with a lot of things in that way, it didn't. I didn't feel entered or violated in that way. It was completely and utterly confusing and very wrong. But worlds away, another thing I'm grateful for is the fact that TFI didn't condone homosexuality or sexual activity towards boys. I'm, I'm sure that it happened. People will attest to the fact that it did happen. Yeah, it definitely it did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, if that had happened to me, for instance, then it'd be in another whole realm of shit to deal with. When you're talking about tr- trauma and levels of trauma, children of God, and then there's some... You know, poor boy living with a, a pedophile father who's been, you know, moving him for the last 25 years of his life or 20 years of his life. That's why you can never compare trauma in my mind. Yeah. As, no, I,
2: absolutely. I think it's something that's really hard, especially for men to deal with, because there's just like this outward expectation that they put on themselves of this shouldn't have bothered me, so therefore mm. I will let it not bother me and just kind of like tuck it away because like you were saying there is this sexual drive that is attached to masculinity and is attached to being a man and so it's very hard for men to like deal with those things that happen to them it's like you said i think it's so much more confusing even than what we women deal with because it's a lot easier to say i was in a position i definitely didn't want whereas like sometimes i've talked with men where they're like i didn't know how to feel how to completely say i didn't want this but when you say that about it being confusing, it really makes sense with some of the stuff that, you know, I know that my friends and my family deal with. It just it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I think it's even in normal, when I say normal society outside TFI, if a guy comes up and says, I was raped by a woman, no one fucking takes them seriously. I know. Just, I know. Oh, what, oh, what, mate? Oh, I Any holes a goal. That's the kind of <laughs> theory that comes from. Guys, it's just oh mate, <laughs> for, for you. You got laid. The power imbalance, and they're like yeah,
2: exactly oh,
1: balance. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. To pull that apart and bring it to a point where you can actually talk about it, you have to overcome so many things. And I'm not saying that in in a poor me thing. Yeah, I'm saying it's pretty fucked. But there there are some interesting sides to that. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so but but owning and being comfortable and not feeling guilty with my sex drive was was a massive thing. Obviously, you get injected back into school and you're in high school and girls are keen on you and everything, and you just have no idea how to interact with them. Yeah.
2: When did it start coming up to a point where it was like this is affecting my life? Was it when you were a teenager and in school, or did it come up with your first relationships, or
1: like how did that? I, I would say it happened. As, like in Year 6, so right as soon as I was in school, there was this girl who liked me and I went yeah. to Year 6 camp. Thankfully, my Year 6 teacher actually put the bill to get me there because I couldn't afford to go. She's one of these, the absolute angels that makes me choke up every, every time. She was just so lovely. Like I got to cut the Year 6 cake, right? I got there. I did the last three months of Year 6. And all the other Year 6 kids are like, oh, the Year 6 cake should be cut by someone who's here since kindy. And, but I think she could see that that was my schooling experience and, and she just wanted to inject all the goodness that she possibly could into that really small, short amount of time. But it was a girl who liked me and on Year 6 camp she was chasing me around and she <laughs> burst into the room when I was getting changed and that and I just, I just panicked. So in in a situation where through experience probably should have been a bit cooler about it all, (laughs) it was more like I just don't, I just don't know what to fucking do with this. I I really don't. And as far as girlfriends, I didn't really have a girlfriend until I was um, seventeen, year twelve. When I got together with someone and actually slept with someone on purpose, Mm -hmm. Um, that was just really lovely. And I guess that was step one of Mm -hmm. where. Where someone else's sexual energy met mine. Yeah. And it was, and it was actually two consenting people who knew what they were fucking doing. That <laughs> <laughs> was like, yeah. step, that was step one. It wasn't an implied thing. You weren't put together. I think that sort of started it. She was really good too. She's the first one who pointed out how shit Christianity was.
2: <laughs>
1: I think that played a big part in it as well. We came straight, landed in Canberra and, and went to school and next thing we're going to a church. So instead of putting oh, with wow. girls to do shit, now all of a sudden you're not allowed to kiss them, you're not allowed to have sex until you get married, even holding hands. <laughs> Anything you can save for your forever partner will <laughs> make the magic more magic. It's oh like, are fucking kidding me? So, so we've <laughs> All the way through to the other side, where it's like just does all everything. In fact, you can't say no. You don't own your own body. All the way through okay. to the other side, where it's just not. You can't even. In fact, don't even think about it. Lust. <laughs> so you think that just total polar opposites. I, I tried to separate <laughs> out the issues that I would ordinarily have had as a an adolescent <laughs> boy. Just yeah. saying. Because adolescent boys, have got a fucking lot going on inside their head. So trying to take that and separate out the things that I was confused about or battling or struggling with as a result of just general normal adolescence as opposed yeah. to how we grew up, it, it was almost an indistinguishable line. It was very difficult. And I did feel like a monster inside when I was 23, 24 and found out that my partner was pregnant. She was for a long time we were trying Mm. and then she went in for a scan and found out that it was a girl and and I was just fucking terrified that's when I went to counseling to see if I was a repeat offender risk because I just I felt like like a fucking monster and it was a really big thing so just even at that point and that was like numerous girlfriends in that was like at 20 Three, we're talking 12, 13 years out of the group, still thinking that I, like I purposefully would not allow myself to be in a room with younger girls at the same time without a parent there because I didn't want there to be any room for accusation. There was just this, and that was a really, very real, vivid issue and yeah. stealing innocence. And like, i I am a deeply loving man. I am I'm high love with my whole heart
2: <laughs> and,
1: and now that I have four kids of my own and to shed that and to finally let go of that idea that I was to talk to this this counsellor and, unfortunately, she was a really shit counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh
0: no. Uh,
1: I paid her 80 bucks and I'm sitting there. I had to get out of work. I'm building this resort in Noosa working for this big builder I had to ask for an early day, and go to see this counselor. And I'm in there, and I'm saying, "Look, this is the situation. So you, you said you're an expert on cults. What cult were you in?" And she said, uh, the Salvation Army." And I'm like, "Yeah, fucking oh,
2: my here.
1: god!" <laughs> All right. Anyway, open mind. Open mind. Let's not be, let's not make this down before it you know becomes actually down, and. It was probably another 10 minutes into it and I'm telling her stuff and she's saying, oh, well, it's funny you should mention that I was actually abused by my older brother and so I abused my younger brother. And so I end up basically counselling her. And I said, so at the end, so do you think I'm a risk of, of reoffending?' And she said, well, even the fact that you're asking the question as to whether you are or not and you've come in, you've been very open about it, I think you're safe. And I'm like... Wow! All right. At least she left. At with, least
2: she left you with that. I,
1: you can, I I hope you don't actually have any really severely, you know, damaged individuals who could actually be a real risk come to you because what you're what you're delivering is just fucked. That was me though, and yeah. then next out comes my daughter, and then and that that was the first time that I knew what real love meant. Like that was.
2: Yeah.
1: I was just in love. Bang! And I had a yeah. reason come home I had a reason to work I had for me that was healing through my kids and not by living by kids, <laughs> through them or pushing them or just that that love bit where it's just whole oh, bit this is what a real childhood looks like this is what innocence looks like this is what you call the a loving father is this is how a loving father acts it's me I had no example of that, the yeah. first guy I didn't see after he was three, and the next guy fucking flogged us after death. Like it's just you. It, it, so all of a sudden, it's it's like all of the missing pieces and all of the loose parts all come together, and I reformed my definition of love. <laughs> yeah. All the effort that I put into investing in my own moral virginity beforehand to to really make myself a ground zero again, there was so much to build up to. That was like a truly life defining moment, (laughs) you know, from a man's perspective, it was just fucking beautiful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think there's so many of us Mm. that had that, that that was really our first true experience with love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to sit here and think, I hope someday uh, our kids will know how much they did for us and how much they healed us and how much they saved us. I hope one day they'll really know the extent of that because they were the ones that taught us what love meant. And it's, Hmm. yeah, and I get that. It's been such a healing experience.
1: (laughs) And and (laughs) as much as we hope that they see, that's like a cherry on the cake, but but I, I look at it from a different way and just go, I hope that my children... Never have to fully understand what we had to do to come to the point to deliver that love. That's around. It's wow. Yes, indeed, that role was was inherited just by being born. All all, all hard work that was, you know, laid down. You're talking years and years of doing push-ups without getting any muscle. Like it just. It felt like just turning the wheels, you know. Yeah,
2: no, for sure.
1: We could actually deliver love and giving them space to be themselves. And
2: oh my god, yes, yeah. not,
1: Not imposing your own fuckery on them. I believe that we far too often shed and give away credit where it's due. (laughs) <laughs> and I've worked so hard that modesty does not have a place at this table. And that's a really important place to come to because we should be ridiculously proud. We've been taught that everyone else, I'm really proud of you, son, kind of thing, which makes son want to do things to make his dad proud. But saying, you must be really proud of yourself, son teaches the son to then do things that make him feel proud, which is what we're after. And those yeah. tiny little fractions in difference in, in perspective can vastly alter any outcome. Yeah, It's, it's so tiny.
0: No, and so important. That's huge. Yeah. That's actually a huge thing, because yeah, yeah exactly. A lot of people have the, the first perspective as opposed to the second, that mm-hmm. it's just so much better. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, what makes you feel proud is someone could feel proud because they stood up without excessive face makeup or a disguise on National Pride Day and allowed themselves <laughs> to be filmed. That is a point to be proud of. It's not I'm proud of you, son, for doing or daughter or whatever. There are so many things and then they don't all have to be traditional. There are so many things that, you know, are so deserving of, of pride.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit. I know yeah. I certainly don't. That is like my biggest worst point is seeing all the good that I've done and that I've managed to do. I'm just constantly picking on myself. Okay, yeah, you did this, but what about that? It's always the what about that and what about this instead of just being like, dude, I did this and that's huge and then celebrate. Yeah whatever even tiny little wins you have to celebrate yeah. everything that happens and the more you celebrate yourself the more you start to love yourself it's a, a little wall climbing thing <laughs> each little tiny step leads you in the same direction because yeah. to, in, in my opinion self-love is at the absolute center of healing yeah. That's where everything has to start because yeah. if you don't love yourself, you don't treat yourself right. You don't respect yourself. Therefore you allow others to hurt you because you're not respecting yourself. Yeah. And it all comes down to oh. self-love and self-respect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: yeah, and that's just, it's just and a huge he, thing that so many yeah. people struggle
2: with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an important point that you made Joe about being able to then pass that on to your children and and teach them that. The problem with
1: (laughs) that self-love thing is you have to come through so many steps to get to that point of you have to feel valuable. You have to feel like your opinion matters, like you're not damaged Yeah. There is an an infinite number of steps just to come to that point. And I think being quite a robust, self-confident person, one of the benefits to my healing journey was that I never believed that I was broken, except for that part where I thought I was a monster kind of thing. (laughs) More like being concerned about my internal drives and stuff. But as an actual person, I never felt like I was a bad person, which is quite, I, I don't want to say lucky because fucking none of it's luck. <laughs> you know, there, there is, there is a, a lot in that. When you talk about the self, the, the negative self talk, when someone across the street, if you heard them talking to a small child in the way that you talk to yourself, you'd call the cops or you'd march right on over. <laughs> fucking backhand wouldn't you but, yeah. but you say it to yourself and unfortunately you are on the inside of your defenses so mm. if someone else is critiquing you or attacking you in that way you yeah. might at least have an opportunity to dissect it or pull it apart or what wonder why he's saying that what's the motivation but right. we're already on the inside of the walls of our own fort and and so every single attack that we launch on ourselves is a knife directly to the heart. It's mm. it, it is incredibly powerful. That just can't be underestimated. Yeah, you know, that that positive self talk. And it doesn't mean you stand there in the mirror and say, I am powerful. I am <laughs> I'm kick this day's ass, you know. It's it, it's well past that. That's it's it's just being kind. Yeah. You know, that self forgiveness thing of sitting back and saying a lot of shit up and I'm going to fuck a whole lot more up to what are my intentions? Like, am I intentionally fucking things up? Am I intentionally making these mistakes? No, nope, I am trying my absolute fucking best under these extenuating right. circumstances and for every little step forward, there is a lot to be proud of.
0: Yep. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. for sure. Yep. A lot of it is self-acceptance too. Mm-hmm. You have to really accept every part of yourself and every person that you had to be to get where you are.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which well, is well hard. Yeah, that's the I'm not broken piece that that mm-hmm. you brought up and I <sighs> having that as a foundation, <laughs> having that as your foundation. You can build everything else off of that. If you can really get to the core of that belief, I'm not broken. Yeah. From there on, everything else is just building on that, and I, that's a really powerful perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah,
1: that's wonderful. My, I, if someone was to ask me what my favorite thing to do is, it's self-esteem reconstruction.
2: Mm. And and
1: when you think of building self-esteem from a construction viewpoint depending what you're into building shit or you're into cooking stuff whatever it
2: is
1: (laughs) it's we were talking the other night about cutting up ingredients and you're trying to cook and you're tossing them in the pan and, and you're allowing someone to like come and take half the ingredients out of your pan i think those visualizations are very you're saying something or you're existing (laughs) or you're exhibiting an opinion or something and someone's cutting you down yeah you have something that's tangible that you do or use all the time and you can say mate stop pulling ingredients out of my pan (laughs) 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 jemima
2: jemima's (laughs) the queen of metaphors you got to talk to her (laughs) she's
0: (laughs) the queen of metaphors that's a good one i like that i like that one (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> right? I think I think she comes up with at least two in episodes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the only way anything makes sense to me. Yeah, you gotta visualize it. Yeah. Otherwise it's just this sort of fuzzy bubble in my head. What does that mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But that that's the self-esteem recreation or the reconstruction of self where it's if something Feels like it's taking away from you more than it's giving you, then you've got to do less of that. Yeah, there's, for me, my weakness is, is definitely drinking, right? I, drinking makes me feel more myself. I don't get drunk every night, but I drink every night. So I might have four beers to wind down and it's just enough to stop me overthinking and stuff. Yeah. But, but so aside from some things like that, just there's that whole accepting poor and negative behavior. Allowing your boss to make you prioritize them over your family. Just yeah. anything like that that's stealing away from your core values. And I guess that also is an assumption that you know what your core values are. <laughs> because let's face it, when you start from ground zero, you've got to gather everything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really good place to start is mm. defining your core values. That's a huge thing because a lot of people don't live happy, successful lives because their life is out of line with their core values and they don't realize it. Mm. A lot of times it's just because you haven't sat down and said, what's the most important thing to me? Yeah. Where is my line? Where's my line on this? Where's my line on that? There's so many things we have to do to understand (laughs) our own self. There's like a lot of inner work to be done.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I guess when we were talking about adopting things from, or like a preset, like, almost like a pre-setting, mm-hmm. um, when, when if you were brought up in a way that was more traditional, then there'd be a lot of entered settings that you would just end up adopting. Yeah. Like, but but again, in in this point where you've got to strip them all back, you get to choose. There's that, and while it's more difficult, there's so many people that I will talk to, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm, I consider myself Christian." And I'll go. What's Christianity mean to you? <laughs> What's your favorite part of the Bible. A bit shocking to them because I'm absolutely fucking the furthest thing from a Christian you could imagine. Except <laughs> for, 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 I'm a deeply spiritual person. I feel things. I feel energies as I move through things. I can feel energy from a tree or from a space. Or when I move through a room of people, that they'll often appear to be different colours. So they'll be like an orange, or red, or blue. And I've, I've recently realised that's a bit of a trauma response from like just basically making a room safe, Yeah. going to the most unsafe person and befriending them to make the space. I'm, 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 yep. I had no idea that I was doing these things. And I guess the deeper you go into self-realisation and self-awareness, then it's mm-hmm. holy shit.
2: That- <laughs>
1: Why I do that, and I love going to parties not knowing anyone. I I live for that shit. Just (laughs) straight in, it's just like, here you go, mate. Yeah, well, I like your shoes, and you just start from there and you work it. It's almost like I'm in my zone, I'm in my zone. (laughs) Realizing that what it is that comfort of going in and and cutting up a room and making the pieces safe. feels like control and feels like safety. Mm. Yeah. So do I really love it?
2: <laughs> do
1: I really fucking want it? Or do I just like going in and using my skills of making a room safe? <laughs> and, feel safe? and it's like, yeah, oh, that's a good question, Joe. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: for <laughs> when you get delve into self-awareness. Nothing can be off the cards. If yep. something's off the cards, that's probably <laughs> the question you need to ask first. <laughs> Very good point. Avoiding yeah. a, a question. I see. Maybe we need to write that one down later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember once, like, my head almost exploded when I was talking with my therapist about some of my struggles with my sex life. And she said, Have you ever asked yourself, if you're actually getting turned on by the person or are you turning yourself on? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> 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 yeah. Because she was like, do you realize that you might be defaulting into what you're supposed to do for the other person? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And I, yeah, my head exploded. I was like, well,
1: fuck. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly good bubble.
2: <laughs> but exactly like what you said you got to ask yourself these questions yeah all
1: the questions <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. yeah
0: and then yeah. just when you're like okay i think i've got this shit figured out something will come along you'll be like okay nope never mind i got no clue what's going on here
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs>
1: well, that, that happened to me with the whole idea that people pleasing was manipulation and i'm oh, like God. yeah. Fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm really good at it. Really good people pleaser And I'm doing that because I just want to be successful, I just want to move through, I just want to organise, I go into a place, I quietly listen, I feel what the voids are and I fill mm. them. And so I'm a great team member because I can, <laughs> I can pick apart all the weaknesses, the things that aren't being done, and as soon as I work it out and how to deal with the people that are there, they're different Personality types and the way that they respond to different types of feedback and ways. Then after that, I can just go in and just nail it. (laughs) Great project management. It's awesome in team building and everything. But that is cookie cutter trauma response to people pleasing, manipulating a room to to really serve your own output, your own benefit, your own desired outcome.
2: Yeah, your own sense of safety.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that was like it's like a, every time I think I'm just good at, something.
0: <laughs> good at something
1: Like for the sake of just being good at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah There you go.
0: You can tell you've done a lot of self work and self-healing, introspection which is one of those things that we were just so discouraged to do. No introspection, have inspection, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's also really interesting because there's often a lot of talk in our community about what age when you got out and people think that they can measure your life by when you got out. And that's just, it's, it's just such the wrong thing to be looking at it just absolutely the wrong thing to be looking at because some people might say you got out at 11 you got the choice you got to go to school blah 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 but my year 11 was the worst year of my life and the one that I constantly go back to when I have to deal with shit like my year 11 was that was the one so it's not something that that ever should be measured or put up upon. Your trauma you know, isn't valid because you are this age or you were that age. Just to make that point that we can stop measuring people's trauma by whatever you think that you can measure it by and just accept them and validate them exactly where they are because it's their experience, it's their life, and it's, they're the ones that's working through it.
1: Yeah, and I have made that mistake myself. With my younger brothers and sisters as well, hearing some of them say that I was raised in a cult, and it's kind of like, you were kind of, I think, you were about four, three, maybe. <laughs> but there's still that lack of safety, and the next however many years till they managed to leave home, where they had to live with just constantly having their spirit assaulted I'm, by, yeah. by, you know, their dad, my stepdad kind of thing. And even just in everyday society, I think of vets, war vets, for instance, their, their feelings and the complexity of their conflictions is unique as well. Then someone who, who's had a partner, lost a partner to suicide or has some issues with whatever it might be, there are so many variables that fill each situation. You have the, the robustness of your character. For instance, mm. that you, they have how good you are with words or how, you know, how well you can pretend almost. That's, that can be a big thing too. You can get through life ext- with a great deal of success by being a fucking great pretender. Yeah. But also being very black and white. Then you bring in mental health issues and you, know, you have Ooh, yep. autism and things as well, whereas I, I can't see things that way because this is how I process things. So mm-hmm. it's, you look at all of that they all impact on our ability to process complex subject matter, which kind of brings me to a couple of things that I've used to assist me in breaking down difficult subject matter. If you stood at the starting line and you thought of the end of the race at the beginning, you probably wouldn't start. It's just too fucking hard. There's too much there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but you you only run a race one step at, at a time. I've always visualised a lung, and in the lung there's all these ventricles and there's little pockets, right? And to start with, mm-hmm. you've got a black lung. You're very hurt. You're, you're damaged, unsure. You, you have no fucking idea what you're doing, like we were saying. But to sit in a little ventricle and a little pocket and just spend time in it not sit there fixing the walls with a hammer, just sit there in the bottom of it. Give it the time and space that it deserves. Heal that, but let some light come into it. And that's so if you're looking at a whole lung and it's just one little tiny pocket, but then you hop next door to the next pocket and you go to the next one and the next one, and then as like more light comes in, obviously it's easier to spread, but mm-hmm. it's really important to not try and fix the whole lung at the same time, but just be comfortable with the fact that it is a journey and along that journey you can find some absolutely stunning and beautiful things. As difficult a journey as it is, it is a fucking beautiful one as well. (laughs) Those moments of realisation and and the depth and some of the places that you find those, finding beauty on the floor of the ocean amongst all those fish that catch their prey with the little fucking lantern that hides in front of their head but there's like a jaw full (laughs) of teeth if you can <laughs> you can find beauty on the floor of the ocean, you can find beauty anywhere. And I, yeah. I, I just think that's when you then take that person who's rebuilt themselves or rebuilt like a some resemblance of self yes. from that, and you put them into quite a, a comfortable life, because gratitude breeds joy, <laughs> you can be grateful. For so many things. Every time I go to the butcher and I buy like a good cut of meat, I feel the privilege on every little level. And I can drink water from the tap. I have my plants are uh, drying out. So I've got a sprinkler and a hose. All those things take money. I haven't, and they take privilege. I haven't had to carry water for eight miles in a bucket on my head while lions and people are trying to shoot me and shit. Like it's just, there's, there is a level of privilege that we get to experience and we can find gratitude spread or reasons for gratitude spread all over. There are as many places to find gratitude as our capacity to see it. Yeah. The deeper you can see it, the, it's and everywhere. <laughs> you get asked, well, so, so would you say you're a happy person after those experiences? And it, the answer is, is undeniably yes because my my joy generator is (laughs) fucking finely tuned (laughs) and always topped up with fuel.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. I I (laughs) I had a sad night the other night, actually. I was just uh, sitting there and, like, we just learned to manage the hurt I think it it never really goes away, but you learn to manage. You learn to manage the the disappointment. I cut my parents off. My last wife left me for another man. And there's just these things which they don't go away, but you put them in the bucket of, I can't fix that or I can't control that, so I'm just going to work around it. And there's there's sad nights. (laughs) And I get affected by the full moon and the new moon as well. There's just things, energy forces that come by and just make me feel overwhelmed. And it's okay to fall in the hole. You just realise that's what's happened. It's not the end of the world. You're going to feel better tomorrow. You cry it out. You get up and you keep fucking moving. When people talk about resilience, especially in the startup industry where everyone's like getting up at 5 o'clock to have a fucking cold shower, the <laughs> worst thing that ever happened to them that day, and you keep pushing, you can do this. And I'm like, if getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and having a cold shower is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, it's so like, fucking you just take that puppy and run with it, mate, because, you know, you, <laughs> you don't know how good you've had it. Yeah. Trades people, mums, solo parents, Vietnam vets, anyone who has to deal with them so much just to stand at the front door and open it, to step outside, to get in their car to go and face the day, like that yeah. that can be so brutally crippling. It's one of the many reasons why judgment should never hold a seat at the table. You don't know. You have no fucking idea what yeah. that person has gone through to just to get to the front door to open it, put the keys in the ignition, and turn it on. It is. It's fucking mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Is there any topics that you feel like you haven't covered in your head that you wanted to get out there?
2: I do have a question that we can talk about that a lot of us don't talk about. And that's just um, what kind of role our background or our trauma plays in our personal relationships. Like I know a lot of us end up having a rough go at things a lot of times. And I'm just curious how important the healing journey is for us to be able to have relationships or what kind of relationships we have and how that affects us.
1: I can see influences from my beginning in my intimate relationships and that comes down to the thing where I probably place myself a distant fifth in it. I don't put myself as a priority and that's um, a difficult thing to I suppose find sympathisers when you're talking about it and saying what does this mean to you? Because in this world, really, we're working too hard, providing flawlessly, being the perfect mum, dad, whatever it is that puts your kids first and everything, or work first. Those things are glamorized. Putting our ourselves and and the world's version or the startup version or whatever of putting ourselves first is being fit, eating healthy food, you know. <laughs> making ourselves presentable each day, even if we're working from home. To me, all that does is just add more pressure on top of an already pressurised. system. If you're into fitness, do it. Go for it. I'm not fucking stopping you. I enjoy feeling capable, but for me, I only have a small opportunity of time to spend just on what I like doing then I'd drive an hour up and just go for a walk on the beach with the dogs, which is what I do a lot of now when I've, you know, got time to myself. But I think that the whole situation with intimate relationships and how our beginning affected intimate relationships all comes down to that self-love and that self-worth. The the attraction to narcissistic personalities and not just narcissists, I think narcissists is a bit of a catch cry at the moment where anyone who does it like is just like they must be a narcissist <laughs> but we allow people to take and we just endlessly and selflessly give until we've got nothing yeah. left and that is what was ingrained in that's what we were taught that's what we were praised for that's what we were rewarded for when you look at that sort of reward behavior that's basically give me a boy until he is seven and I will give you the man yeah. I put that in a letter to my stepdad when I was telling him um, to fuck off. (laughs) And and I just said, lucky I changed that narrative or I'd I'd be basically just a re-offender all over town. Like when it comes to intimate relationships, let's try and separate out for a second the things that normal outside TFI people have to deal with right? besides us. And they still lose themselves first. They still have issues with self-acceptance and things. I think that's one of the the beautiful things about being raised in such a a complex, traumatic situation is that you can empathise with anyone.
2: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah.
1: (laughs) Even if you haven't fully lived that life, you know what it tastes like. You know what it smells like, the feelings that went on inside their head when things were happening to them. So yeah. if someone was just, you know, brutally beaten for their whole childhood and nothing else happened, you, you, you know what that would feel like. When you okay. come to the sexual side, to being overworked, to being, I'm not proud of you unless you're incredibly successful. Like We, yeah. we feel that too. Soldiers from Africa mining fucking blood diamonds. We, we, we have not lived that but we know what it feels like to do horrendous things in the name of something else for someone else before you even yeah uh, have the ability to conceptualise and process that kind of information. Like we know dealing. Yeah. <laughs> we can empathise with the fucking universe. And I think that <laughs> when you bring that into intimate relationships and to be able to have a healthy Two-way type a healthy relationship. There has to be two healthy people that are right. whole within themselves that choose to live parallel, like next to each other. The predisposition to having codependent relationships is massive yeah. because our, our sense of self and point of reference is all haywire. So yes. Yeah. So enough people have problems with it. Besides the situation that we grew up in, but even then you take that and you take two healthy consenting adults that choose to live in a parallel life, but then one of them decides after an amount of time that they don't choose to live that way anymore or that they, you know, choose to, you know, I'm going to go and do something (laughs) else but it's it could be going awesome and you've got the yeah. everything and there's still through human desire and the and the human want for for more or to discover things that we don't know about or the grass is always greener yeah so even when you do get it right there are still so many chances and opportunities and, well, for sure so I don't know, that's my take on that one. I was recently separated, I think it was two and a half years ago, and she was falling in love with this bloke and I I just picked it up instantly. The hair went up on the back of my neck. I actually <laughs> sat up at 11 o'clock at night and it was just like, something's happening right now and it's not right. And she was at a function and she was sitting in a car with him, like in one a suburban street and they were having a like a heart-to-heart. That's what she said, anyway. But I managed to drag that information out. But it's when you talk about being finally attuned. It was eleven o'clock. It was while it was happening. I was just fucking bang straight up. Something's not right. Yeah. You just you, you just know it. There's a deep vibrational sensitivity. <laughs> that comes with that trauma history where you just you do you feel you can smell it. Can yeah, feel, absolutely. It's, it's so gaslit in that point too because you don't actually have any tangible evidence <laughs> <laughs> and it's no I, I, look man i can't prove it to you but i feel it in my man waters <laughs> and uh fucking right. and so many times that there is real genuine substance behind that
2: yep um, yeah you're absolutely right you're yeah. absolutely right. yeah i know i know for me when i look back at my past relationships i, I definitely picked people that i knew needed me for one reason or another. And obviously that's a big codependency thing. I think it just goes back to that place where you're only valuable if you're productive, if you're doing something, if you're useful. That's the only value you have. And so in relationships, I think that's something that, that I have not sorted out yet. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it is very true. Relationships are so complex and so difficult on their own their background just like another extra layer on top of that
1: Hmm. i would have to agree with that (laughs) (laughs) i'm in that place right now where my heart's still sore and it's you know been over two years but that whole thing of i'd rather just keep everything at a distance because it feels safer that way and i know that's not a healed position but it's a position that's safe while I'm healing. And so I'm not going to try and cut that apart and just jump into something and try and heal while I'm doing it. I'm right. just going, you know what, okay, this is what I'm doing now. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. I don't have to say yes. I'm just going to roll solo for a little while. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah there was this movie I watched a while ago and the guy and the girl had this big breakup and they'd been together for like years. And so she wrote this letter to him and it said, sometimes things break and you can put them back together, but sometimes things break and it shatters and there's no possible way for it to get back together. Hmm. But once that's shattered and the sun shines on it, it becomes glitter. And you've made something different and something beautiful out of what has been shattered. And I was just like, that is actually a really beautiful way to look at things. It's difficult. I'm not saying that's easy because, yeah, you're like, I didn't want this to fucking shatter. Like at some point when the sun shines on it, it'll be glitter. Yeah. And
1: Yeah. I think there's a way to let go of things as well. When it comes to relationships, it is okay to want to leave something it is okay to want to choose a different path it is okay to say marriage vows and then 10 years later decide that we've each only got one life Mm -hmm. so so as far as judgment goes from other people on how that person should live their life it's completely irrelevant it shouldn't actually come into the conversation even but there's a way to retreat gracefully yeah um, and to say look I, I really thank you for the years you know that, that we spent together and i love you and i probably always will but right now there's there's a burning desire within me to go and explore something else or choose something else or just try something else my ex partner my journeys were completely different I, I described it as our lives were like an ex, right? So she has started in complete blissful peace with a, with a wonderful upbringing, lovely parents, safety, all those things, private school, whatever. And then there was me and I was raised in chaos. So we came and our exes met in the middle and we had this beautiful decade in the centre where, where both our journeys matched. But then after that, I was only interested in stability and like yeah. long-term investment and really bringing things together and like laying down the the further foundations or, or building that further sense of just long-term care and love and things. Whereas for her, it was more like, "Oh my God, I haven't. I, I, I don't know what this feels like. But what if I want to do this?" What if I want to do that? So for her sense of self-discovery, living in peace and harmony would have just been more peace and harmony. But Mm -hmm. So her journey of discovery was like it had to step into chaos in order to realise or even come up with gratitude for the fact that what she had around her was amazing. And it's unfortunate because that whole idea of not um knowing what you've got till you lose it, is that you step into the chaos and then realise, oh, wow, the situation I had before was remarkable. But in that as well, there's a journey and there's all the things that that she's going to discover about herself in that journey and on the way, which is her journey now, not, not mine. I suppose in any situation it doesn't always end in a way that's nice that separation is so jagged when you have roots that are entangled completely peeling them all apart and it's a brutal experience so whether it could have been a little bit better or a whole lot better or or whatever there there still would have been heart-wrenching pain (laughs) involved
2: yeah yeah i I get that for sure i i think sometimes the losses we have I think sometimes we feel that a little bit more keenly because we've spent so much of our life losing everything, moving from place to place. You can never, you know, you make a friend and you knew you in a month you're going to lose them. Get something that you liked and it was given to somebody else. Like it just haunted. So when you get to a place in your life where exactly what you said, where you can have stability or you can hold on to something or you can like this is mine and nobody can take it from me. When you when you have that for the first time in your life, it's. Losing that is—it just feels a little bit harder, I think.
1: It—it it brought up so many abandonment issues. My real dad—he was hardly ever there. He was always off on road trips, sleeping with other people, and whatever. It was just—and along comes this next guy, and he just disappears back to Canada, and I never fucking see him again till I'm thirty-six when I go over to Canada, and, and whether. Mum and the stepdad stopped contact with him and wouldn't let him. Or whether I remember making a couple of cassette tapes and posting them over to him, (laughs) but really I don't even know if they ever got posted. I I don't fucking know. (laughs) It was maybe they were even trying to hit him up for money. I I, I don't know. That's the way the group went. But then I always felt like mum was consistently abandoning us each time that she would tell my stepdad something that we did and we end up getting flogged for it so it's just each time there were just so many layers of abandonment <laughs> being the eldest kid and there being yeah. so many younger ones so so at eight years old I'm stomping clothes in this big steel bin with that Indian clothes powder that burnt holes in the bottom of your feet right? and I look at my kids and they're eight years old and you're like laying in their room watching an iPad having a lovely time and it's just surrounded by fairies and completely different. But those feelings of, of abandonment and uncertainty and stuff were, were all completely like I had such a crazy reaction to to this recent breakup because when I do love someone and I do lean in, I love with my whole being. I lost eight kilos in um, Wow. six weeks and like I was I couldn't sleep I was getting up in the middle of the night and running 10 kilometers and coming back it was crazy that was the first time that I actually realized I was suffering from severe anxiety and I went to the doctor and I said you gotta fucking help me sleep I need to sleep yeah <laughs> and, and she was going to give me some melatonin or whatever but then told me to go see a shrink and uh, you fill in the little questionnaire to see how you're going. Like, <laughs> 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 oof, we, we, need to, we, we need to really, we need to see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> There's all those things that I used as a kid to get past and I didn't ever want to use those coping mechanisms again. And I guess I hoped that I didn't ever have to. When I was 12 and I, I sat down and said to myself that, Everything bad that had happened before that point could have been a an excuse for everything wrong that happens in my life from that point forward, or it could be the fuel that just keeps propelling me forward, and I, I just chose the latter. That was a really defining point, and I had to just knuckle down and do that again. Yeah, my story's not unique. It's not like I'm the only one fucking going through this stuff. You know, then you would become one of the single school dads, And then there's (laughs) all mums and it's just like this crazy little society of drama and shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, gosh, definitely
1: remember those times. Not fun. Oh, so have you found a new woman yet? No, man, no. Oh, what? Are you on Tinder? (laughs) It's like, no, I'm not on Tinder. (laughs) I I couldn't think of anything worse. If it works for you, that's great, not for me. <laughs> and I, I came to that realisation as well that that when my recent relationship broke down, that that was the sum and total of my wholesome family experience. So that was it. So that essentially did, didn't have it as a kid. And that was, I think, something else that made it really hard to say goodbye to when it wasn't finished. It just wasn't done. All the bullshit started when the youngest one was only one and a half And uh, by the time we broke up, he was three, trying to cater. I'm sure single parents everywhere. There's like a 12 year old, a 10 year old, and a three year old. And you're trying to emotionally cater for them all and and stuff. And I'm in a good position because I'm co parenting and both people are relatively emotionally stable. No one's like trying to fuck the other one over or take them for their worth or anything. So there's, but it's still, still just. It's a bit shit, especially when it was so good. It was just so fucking good, and then it's, it's just unfortunate that I suppose I saw more value in it than she did. But she'd always had it too. That's I think part of it. Yeah. If you're not grateful for something, you don't see the value in it, and it's easier to toss away.
2: Mm. Yeah, very true. Mm. Sorry yes. for all that heartache, though. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so tough. It's, yeah. it's funny because we talk a lot about trauma on this podcast. We talk to a lot of people who have been through some really like excruciatingly painful stuff. But
1: mm.
2: at the same time, losing someone that you love so deeply mm. is such an earth-shattering <laughs> experience yeah. that it, it's like right up there. It's like right yeah. up there with all with, with like yeah. the trauma and stuff just because of how much your heart is invested in how much it really gets you personally. And and, yeah. and it's one of the more common things. It's like something that everyone, almost everybody has experienced that. So it's really valuable to talk mm. about getting through our losses and getting through our heartbreaks because it's something mm. that everybody has to deal with. Yeah.
1: So true. There's I, always a the silver lining, which is I also feel grateful that I had something that was so precious that it felt that hard to lose it. You yeah. Know, whenever you look at something from that way, as well, so like, well, it was so fucking good that it was that hard to lose. There's, yeah. You know. <laughs> still shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sorry. That's so tough. I love talking with people that I can really tell that they're on a healing journey. They're like, "Yeah, I want to talk to you about that stuff. I want to talk to you about what this means and where it goes." And. <laughs> So I really appreciate that. And like I said Hi. earlier, it's really, it's really nice to have that conversation with a guy because, hmm. yeah, let's be honest, there's not that many guys that have those conversations. <laughs> You've done some work that stands out from the regular I guess you're not the regular Joe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not the average Joe. <laughs> not the average Joe. <laughs> Same for the episode. There you go. <laughs> Not the average Joe. <laughs> no, no, Does that make
1: hilarious. you feel good? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I that's love it. it. <laughs> there is a huge gap that, that when it comes to to men actually being open enough to just go, you know what, fucking here it all is. And it's all out there. And not from a, a male perspective that's like flaccid or weak either. It's just a fucking, this is it. These things are real. This is what I was feeling. This is the, these are the complexities of it. And I, you know, I'm a fortunate man. I am. I just, you know, the, the the position that I'm I'm in now, despite everything, um, I, I am a a fortunate man. And I feel that that fortune and that privilege on on so many levels. And I think that's in, in summary to it all, no matter where it was that we started, the start is what it is, where we end up is kind of like a series of choices, a series of micro decisions. Mm -hmm. and if we can look at the perspective on what helps us with those micro decisions you end up with a better outcome you know and if you're looking through constructive glasses at each of your micro decisions you can have these huge turning points things like earth shatterings marriage breakup or getting a new job or having a car crash or something like that but in between all those things is just an infinite number of tiny steps and so to me the healing journey or any journey is, is the most important thing is the perspective behind all the tiny steps because those yeah, glasses yeah. that you're looking through govern the way that we end up handling the massive, huge events that happen as well. But, but the vast majority, like 99.9% of the journey is all the tiny steps, yeah. not, the, yeah. not the big fuck-off things that you go, oh, my God, you handled that so well. It, it was an event All the time steps are the things that, uh, I believe anyway, set up. (laughs) Yeah,
2: 100%. That's so true.
1: Yep, Mm. absolutely. Very good. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell Mama needs to go to bed. She
0: came off work, didn't you? Uh, Yeah, I came straight. I only had 40 minutes in between when I got off work and (laughs) got on here. So it was like, take the shower, feed the dogs, all that stuff. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Trooper. <laughs> you
0: know, it's the yes. sacrifices we have to make for the things we want. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's worth it.
1: A small uh, yeah. energy.
0: That's mm. yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Like you said, that's the thing we have, the gratefulness, like mm. the little things that we have, like it's been years and I still have not lost that sort of wonder, that sense of wonder of, oh, my God, I have this. Mm. And it, it's the littlest things. It really is like the littlest thing. It's really great to be great for those.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, All
2: right, Joel, thank, thank you so you much.
1: For having me on. Oh, that was, was wonderful. wonderful.
2: It was really <laughs> nice.
1: very easy to speak with. Thank like you.
0: Yes, you are too. You're very because sometimes you're going to talk to a straight man and you're like, okay, I'm not sure how it's going to go because well, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of men have this whole masculinity thing, but yeah. yeah, it's really good that you've got that all worked out and
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, you're such a great example of someone
2: who's like really a man, manly, but yet you can show your vulnerableness and your healing journey. It's it's it's, it's great. It's fantastic. Oh, fantastic.
1: i appreciate the the
2: acknowledgement
0: thank you awesome all right mr joe right thank you all so much for listening and as always stay brave and remember that every butterfly was once a caterpillar